Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you want to invest in your team culture or maybe you want to hit reset, maybe you've got some cultural behaviours that you want to address with your team and work through, DM me on LinkedIn and let's chat about how we can work together. All right, today on the episode, we're talking about this idea of leading up and I'm joined by fan favourite Shane Hatton. Many of you will know Shane from previous episodes. Shane's a speaker, an author, and a leadership coach, and he is one of the best people to talk about this idea of leading up, of how you influence your manager. In this conversation, we talk about how do you have difficult conversations with your leader? How do you influence the culture when you're not in charge? Shane gives such good advice on having difficult feedback conversations and on building a really healthy and authentic relationship with your boss. You're going to love this episode. And if you want to find out more about Shane, we're going to have all his details in the show notes. He does some awesome coaching programs with leaders. You're going to want to find out more about him. Let's get into it. Shane Hatton, this is your third round on My Millennial Career. Welcome. I'm trying to figure out what it is that I've done um, to deserve coming back for a third time. And I don't know whether I'm doing really, really good or whether you're right to the bottom of the barrel and I'm the last person available. I'm assuming that I'm I'm saying something that's of value. (laughs) You're the only person who's come back three times. So it is definitely you are delivering value. And I should say, we've been trying to coordinate you and I recording for a while. You're in Melbourne, I'm in Newcastle. And I was just like, no, we just have to make this happen. Need you back on the show because today we're going to dig into this idea of leading up. Let's just go straight in because I often thought about this idea of managing up and that's what I've referred to it as. But if I think about this idea, Shane, of managing up or leading up as you describe it, I've kind of cringed when I've heard that term because often when I've seen it in the in organisations, I've put it towards leaders who put on a facade upwards, but then their like real personality comes out and you're like, whoa, <laughs> who are you? Talk to me. What even is leading up? Yeah, it's not the same as sucking up, which should be very should be very clear about that. Because <laughs> um, I think that's that's the impression that you get, right? When you have someone who is leading up, it's this idea that they're the kind of golden child on the team. They're one way to the leader. They present themselves really, you know, amazing to the leader, and then they get around their team, and everyone thinks they're a jerk um, because they act like a completely different person. <laughs> and I, I, I don't think that counts as leading up. That would be the equivalent of a leader being one person to their boss and being another person to their team. And so that's, I think if we think about leadership as an, as a just broad concept, I mean, what is leadership? I mean, you could give a thousand different definitions of what it is, but I think leadership is ultimately at its core influence. And 
whether you are leading a team and you've got people around you and you're influencing a team or whether you're just an employee within an organization that has some degree of influence on the people around you, you can have the opportunity to lead people. And so if we think about leading up, it's really about how you as a team member influence your leader, the person who's leading you. And so I don't think influence only goes one way from top down. I think influence can flow in every direction within an organization. So I guess that's the conversation we're having today. And why does leading up matter? Like, why is it important? Um, well, it depends if you want to be part of a team that you really like to be a part of. <laughs> I guess if you <laughs> if you don't love the team that you're a part of, you only have two options, which is, well, I guess you've got three options. The two options typically people would say is I either stay and bear it and hate my life and hate my job or I leave. And that's a very kind of binary response to being part of a team that you're not enjoying. And I think the third option, which is the one that we're talking about, is how do you influence your team, the people around you, including your leader, to create a team that you actually love to be a part of? Wow. I'm I'm thinking about that because I think you're absolutely right. When we are in a difficult spot, in our work situation, we go to the two extremes. I either love it, I stay, I hate it, I leave. And it's like very polarizing. I love what you're saying there, Shane, of there's a third option, which is you can influence the culture and you can influence the dynamic. But often that means we have to have some conversations with our manager that could be a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, we have to have conversations all the time that are difficult and uncomfortable. <laughs> what you what you touched on there, I love this concept um, by one of my mentors, Matt Church, where he says that two is not a choice, it's an ultimatum. And when I'm working with clients as a coach, one of the things I'll often say to someone when they're going, I've got to weigh up between these two decisions. And I'm like, well, weighing up between two decisions isn't actually a decision. It's an ultimatum. It's this or that. And one of the best things that you can do is ask yourself, is there a third scenario that I could throw into the mixture of this? So rather than I stay or I go, what about the third option, which is that I stay and I do something to make this a place that I really want to be a part of? Oh, goodness. I've never thought about the two options as an ultimatum. That is an eye-opener. Like I'm like, okay, cool. That is something that is very practical that we can really work with. If we want to put that into practice, let's say right now some of our listeners, and I know this is going to be true for, for many of our listeners, will feel like, okay, I felt like I was in this stay or go decision, which is, as you've now described, an ultimatum. Mm. I want to take the third choice. So if we're in the matrix, it'd be like, I don't know, the green pill. Like, can we have an extra pill? And any of the Gen Zs who don't know the matrix, it's very old. It's a very old movie. (laughs) But so let's say we've got this third choice. We need to lead up. We need to influence our manager. How do we do that? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very big question. How do I do the thing that is the thing that we are really focusing our entire conversation on today? Um, Very big question, but a very good question nonetheless. Because I think the practicality of the, the adding a third decision is you really need to evaluate the outcomes of all the decisions that you make. And so most of the time when someone's hating life, when they're not loving their job, they're leaning towards, I just have to go, right? And so what is the the outcome of leaving the organization? Well, the outcome of leaving the organization is that the team or the leader that you are working with stays the same. They don't change and they don't grow and they don't develop, which means other people are experiencing often the same issues that you had, but you leave. 
And what's the outcome for you? Well, you now have to go find another job. You have to go through the process of transition and change. And for sometimes some people that means changing towns. Sometimes that means, um, you know, changing income brackets. It can mean a whole lot of things for your career. It means sometimes it can mean going a step backwards in your career progression. And so the outcome for you personally is a huge weight to carry. But if you add the third, well, what's the outcome of the third? Well, potentially you manage a gets angry and decides not to change, in which case you leave, which becomes option two anyway. You were already planning to do that. Or the best case scenario is that you have that uncomfortable conversation with your leader and they go, you know what? I didn't realize that this was an issue. And then they start to change. And all of a sudden the third outcome is that you get to stay in a team. You get to have a better relationship with your leader and you get to continue on your career progression and journey. So the best case scenario is still a great option for you. Even even the worst case scenario of having a difficult conversation is still the same as your second option out anyway. Yeah, you've just tested it and gone, okay, cool. Well, they weren't open to changing. At least I can tick that off going, knowing that I tried, mm. didn't get the outcome I wanted, no worries. I'm leaving knowing that I've I've made the right choice. I'm, I'm yeah. just thinking about this idea. You said this thing of you have a better relationship with your manager as a result. And I think that's a really important call out. One of the things I find, Shane, in my work with uh, in HR has been often our fear around having difficult conversations is we think that it's going to negatively damage the relationship. But if we prepare for those conversations, often the reverse happens where we end up having a better relationship as a result because we're authentic, we build trust with that person, we take a risk, but if we frame it up well and we do that conversation really well, I think you're absolutely right. We end up having a deeper relationship. It's like that time, you know, when you've, it, let's think about high stakes conversations. Like I think about in our family dynamic, like in a, with me and my family members, I'm one of five kids. So I've like got this big boisterous, loud family and we've always had drama in terms of like, and loved kind of those tough conversations, which is been really helpful for me in my career. But I find that when you do those conversations well, the depth of relationship you have with someone is better because there's trust, there's vulnerability, there's all this health that comes out of a result of a tough conversation. What's your take on that? Like, has that been your experience that when you have difficult conversations, it deepens the relationship or, or are there some things in there that you feel, feel like we need to look out for because sometimes maybe that's not the case? Yeah, the outcome of the conversation in the best case scenario is that two people experience growth. You as an individual, having had the conversation, get to experience the growth of having a hard conversation, and which means future hard conversations become just a little bit easier. Um, and the manager or the leader who has, I guess, is the recipient of that conversation has the opportunity for growth in terms of they're getting feedback on how they can lead people better. So that's the best case scenario. I mean, the worst case scenario is that you get to grow because you've, I guess, built the the um, resilience to be able to have a difficult conversation and the manager chooses not to grow. So in both case scenarios, you still get the opportunity of growth. Um, and so I know it feels really challenging and really difficult, but the worst case scenario is you grow in this situation, even if the conversation doesn't go well. Um, and so if you're sitting there mapping out, should I have this hard conversation? Should I not have this hard conversation? Um, even if you do the conversation poorly, and I, I would say that, and what I mean by that is that you don't say it the way that you hoped you would say it. If you choose to go through that um, 
and reflect on that conversation through a learning lens or a growth mindset, which I know you talk a heap about, then you still get to grow. So there is no downside for you in this scenario other than potentially a strained relationship between you and your manager, which by the sounds of things, if you're having this conversation, it's probably strained already. Yeah, it's just below the surface. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've just brought it to the surface. And I would, I would love to know your perspective on the show because I know you work with heaps of leaders, right? Have you ever met a leader that's even in the most senior position of an organization that has not said to you at some point, honestly, it just feels like sometimes I have no idea what I'm doing. I know it's going to be maybe, we're maybe pulling the veil off for a lot of kind of more junior leaders, but I don't know what's been your experience. Have you seen that with people? Oh, all the time. I mean, these like, <laughs> I was one of uh, my clients, he's CEO of this company that grew super quick, amazing business. He's got, you know, 500 staff that grew in five years and he's very honest about this whole thing of like, oh, look, some days I just think I'm winging it and I'm trying to figure it out on the fly. And when you see people up close and personal like that and they're vulnerable and they're raw enough to say, look, I, I, I'm, I'm winging it. Like I'm mm. figuring this out as I go, just like everyone else. Then you actually understand, well, they want feedback. They need feedback. And uh, Tim Hanna, CEO that I worked for, for a long time when I was in my internal HR roles, he, sa he said this amazing thing, Shane. He said, the higher up in leadership you go, the further away you get from feedback and the truth of what's happening for your employees. So the more intentional you have to be with getting and extracting that feedback. So if, yeah. if you're listening now and you think, oh, I need to have a difficult conversation with a leader, it's in their interest to yeah. hear your feedback. Like it's actually in service of them. If there's an issue on the team and you feel nervous to give that feedback to them, they need to hear it. If they want to be a good leader, they have to, they have to hear that feedback. But I think the nervousness we have, Shane, is around the power dynamic and that yeah. hierarchy. How do you encourage your coaching clients to deal with that fear of the power dynamic? Yeah. I mean, huge question. What's interesting though is, so we, we did a whole lot of research for my last book, Let's Talk Culture. And in that research, we asked people about um, a whole, whole bunch of things about feedback. We asked them, how empowered do you feel when, to speak up when you see a culture and values misalignment? Um, how comfortable do you feel giving feedback to more junior team members versus how do you feel giving feedback to more senior team members? How safe do you feel to challenge the culture of the organization? And interestingly, in all of that, whether it was a junior team member, a senior team member, an organizational misalignment, um, or just an everyday difficult conversation, around a third of people actually felt confident and felt like they were comfortable delivering feedback. It was something like 3% difference between junior and senior team member feedback. So giving feedback down versus giving feedback up. And so what that demonstrated to me is that there's actually, as much as the power dynamic does come into play, they're all difficult conversations, regardless of whether you're giving it to a team member, to a PR, to a more senior team leader, it's always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable because we generally don't like to tell people that their baby's ugly, right? It's that <laughs> feeling of like, you don't want to say, hey, you've got something about you right now that people are not liking and you can't see it. And so I think, yes, we need to be mindful of the power dynamic. And that really comes down to the leader of the team. They've got to be more conscious and aware of how they invite feedback and initiate feedback. Um, in the book, I talk about it as like, we talk about having culture conversations. And I say, you can't have a culture conversation until you've got a culture of conversation. And so 
that is really relies on the leader, which is you can't have these deep conversations about shaping the culture that you want with your team unless in your team you already have this culture that allows for and invites conversations. So for something like feedback, if you're a team member that's on a team that does not have a culture of feedback, that it's really hard to step out and give feedback because you're initiating something. Um, but I think from everything we've talked about so far, it's really, really important. Yeah, so important. And I think you're right. Like, I love that idea. We need to have a culture of feedback. If someone's listening right now and they're not, they don't have that culture right now, yeah. but they want to be the catalyst, right? They want to step into this space and go, okay, I can make a difference. I can be brave. What should they do, Shane, to prepare? So they've got to have a difficult conversation with their leader. They've got the desire to influence their leader, which is awesome. Yeah. What do they do to prepare for this tough conversation? Yeah, Really good questions. So there's a few things and I'll run over the few things that I have been thinking about um, just as we were having this conversation. And then maybe we can dive deeper into the ones and kind of unpack a little bit what they mean. But I think when it comes to having a conversation up or influencing up, there is something that we need to take responsibility for as a team member um, before just rushing in and just giving our manager feedback left, right and center. Um, Because I think it is a delicate, it's a really delicate balance in all of this. I think one of the first things, um, I have a friend of mine, Georgia Merch, and she said this phrase years ago, which I loved, which is that people will hear your content, but they smell your intent. Um, And I I really love that idea that, um, and I know a few people have mentioned this. I even wrote about it in Lead the Room, which was this idea of intent before content. And I think the intention of the conversation matters a whole lot more than the content of the conversation. We tend to focus on the structure and how the feedback needs to be delivered. But I think the intent of the conversation is really important. And I think the intention needs to be about more about service than it is about malice. And there's a really distinct difference between those two. Service is the intention that says this feedback is going to help us grow and develop as a team and to create a more productive environment versus malice is about this feedback is actually going to help me look better and it's actually going to help me look better by making you look worse. And you can see malicious feedback, right? Where it's like, it's based on your preferences rather than a real kind of performance issue. It's based around um, maybe a leader's personality versus a leader's um, character. Um, There's all these things that feel malicious in the way that we give feedback. And so I would say the first and most important thing is what is your intention behind giving this feedback in the first place? Is it about helping them or is it about serving you? Which maybe sounds harsh to hear. No, it's so good. Oh my gosh. I'm like, (laughs) everyone could see my face. I'm like smiling so much because, oh, I just shamed bloody love that. (laughs) I like, I just love that so much. Intent matters more than content. I've written that down. Cause you know what? We can read it. You can tell. It's kind of like when you get the shit sandwich feedback and you know the (laughs) intention and you think, well, they're like positive, negative, positive. And you're like, your intent is very clear in that method. You ever had that feedback and someone says to you, they're like, Hey, I just want to give you some really good feedback. I think you're doing this fantastic. And you sit there and your stomach sinks. Cause you're like, I know what's coming next. The and slap. like the, yeah, the slap, like the initial feedback, the positive reinforcement feels so fake because you know that it's just this sandwich that is designed to give you the hard truth. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? The intention in that is the shit sandwich is designed to make the giver of feedback's life easier, not yep. designed for the receiver of feedback. So if I'm yep. sitting here with you and after this this 
podcast, I go, look, Shane, I've got some feedback for you. <laughs> and I deliver it in that method. It makes it easier for me because I feel like I've given you two little slices of positive feedback and wedged between a terrible thing. <laughs> like, and so it's about me as the giver. Mm. It's not about the receiver of feedback. So if we think about leading up, we need to think about, I love, like, I love that intention so much. How do we go in with the intent to help us grow? Like, how do I go in with that mindset? Both of us, Mm. me and my manager are going to grow through this conversation. And that's my desired outcome, not I need to put you in your place or I need to correct you or I need to let yeah. you know all the ways you're stuffing up this team, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Which, oh, you my know. gosh. Imagine being a leader of a team and feeling, I mean, just put yourself in a leader's position. Like for people who are already feeling like, gosh, I'm trying to do the best that I can to lead this team, but I know I'm not doing the, the a perfect job. N- no leader is. And then having a team member coming to you going, hey, I noticed all the things that you were doing wrong and I'm going to give you some feedback because you need to get better. Um, I have this relationship with my business manager, Baron, and I, I, he's, he makes my life just so much easier. Um, but I remember years ago, one of our mentors said this. They said the, the dynamic between a, a team member and a team leader or a business manager and a, a practice owner is that um, they make your job as a practice manager, a practice leader, um, they make your job easier and you make their life better. And I really love that exchange that took place between the two of us. So for Baron and I, I always say to Baron, hey, your job is to make my life easier by taking some of the things that I'm carrying and systemizing those things and creating you know, processes for them. And so that I go, oh my gosh, that just feels so much lighter and easier. And in response, as a leader, my job is to make his life better. Like he should have a greater experience by working with me. And because we have that mutual understanding, then when he has to give me feedback, the feedback is about how do I help make his life better? But at the same time, the reason he gives me that feedback is because by giving me that feedback, it enables me to um, make my business easier to run and more effective and more productive. And so there has to be that mutual exchange of service, right? Which is that if you're a team member wanting to influence up, the intention can't be that this whole feedback is just to make my life better and easier as a team member without any consideration of how I take some of the burden off of the leader that I'm actually here to kind of report to. And if there's that mutual exchange of benefit, then feedback becomes a really giving service as opposed to um, something which is, yeah, potentially just about a one-sided feedback. Everything about this, and this is standard. Every time you talk to Shane, if anyone wants to chat to Shane or is looking for a leadership coach, Shane's your guy. Because every time I talk to Shane, I walk away and I'm like, my mind is blown. And I just like <laughs> mull it over for so long. Like any, time, like any phone call we have, it's always the way. Shane, I love that. That's very Be- kind. <laughs> I know you're really good at taking compliments. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm on the other side of this the recording right now, just cringing and dying on the inside. But I, I, will, I will do better because I, I think, again, side note, not the topic we're talking about today. Uh, we, as human beings, we do need to get a whole lot better at sitting with gratitude for the feedback that we get. So sometimes we're giving really hard feedback. Sometimes we're giving really good feedback. And when you get the good feedback, it's really easy to dismiss it as much as it's easy to dismiss the hard feedback. But I think both hard feedback and good feedback, we need to at least sit with to a moment to either appreciate and feel gratitude or to appreciate and then create growth. On that, I saw a tweet from um, Hormozy. He's leadership management, all kinds of things, puts out so much good content around we need to get really good at saying thank you to feedback because that's how we get more of it. 
even if it's hard, yeah. if it's hard to hear, we need to be thankful that we're getting it because otherwise we won't get more. If it's good feedback, exactly what you said, we need to take, take it on and go, okay, yeah, I am doing good stuff. Own yeah. it. Do more of that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to read you a listener question we got, Shane, because I think this is a tricky question and it's right up your alley. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from or you can listen on the audiobook, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, Shane, we had an anonymous question submitted from the My Millennial Money Facebook community and it says, my boss's expectations feel pretty unreasonable. They work huge hours every week. They email late at night and on the weekend. It means most of the team feel pressured to be on and working nonstop. How can I talk to them about it? Such a good question. Do you want to answer it? No, I want you. <laughs> no handballing. <laughs> what okay, would you I, was, do? I thought for a moment I could handball that to you first, but that's okay. But thank you. Thank you for calling me on that. No, I, I actually love it. it. The reason why I love it is because it comes down to, um, it, it was in the question, the answer was in the question. Um, and if, if people have heard me on previous episodes, this is not going to be new, but I want to reinforce it for you. Most of our biggest frustration and disappointment in life can be traced back to a misalignment of expectations. Everything, everything that you feel like I was frustrated about this, I was annoyed about that, trace it back to its root cause and there's a good chance there was a misalignment of expectations. I wanted something from you that you didn't give me or you wanted something from me that I didn't give you. There was a misalignment. So in this case, there is an expectation from a leader about the workload and their workload expectations. Now, the challenge in all of this is that Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the expectation of a leader on their team member is an unspoken expectation. And it comes through as an unspoken expectation based on the behaviors. So for example, when you email on a weekend, as the recipient of an email on a Saturday afternoon that says, hey, could you get back to me ASAP on the answer to this? When you get that email on the Saturday afternoon, you immediately assume that the expectation was, you need to respond to me this afternoon because I need the answer right now. 
And so you, most people generally will carry an expectation that my weekends are my weekends. And I think that's a perfectly healthy expectation. Like you shouldn't have to work on your weekends mm. unless of course you're a weekend worker. Um, and so you hold an expectation that my manager shouldn't contact me outside of business hours for work-related issues. The manager either has an expectation that you will respond at all hours of the day or their behavior is leading you to believe that they have an expectation that you should. And what often happens is that we don't verbalize or make those expectations really explicit. And Tori Aletto, um, I, I've used this quote all the time, is an American psychologist based in New York. And she says, what isn't communicated is felt, what's felt is interpreted, and what's interpreted is often misinterpreted. And so if we don't verbalize and make those expectations explicit, we believe the person has an expectation that maybe was never the expectation. So for example, when you get an email on a Saturday, Perhaps the manager or the leader is, when they say, get back to me ASAP, what they really mean is first thing on Monday morning, when you get this email, respond to me. But because we get it on a Saturday, we assume that their expectation was something completely different. And this is where I think we need to have a conversation with each other to say, hey, you know how you sent that email on Saturday and you wanted me to respond ASAP? Well, I'd love to understand what your expectation of, of me is on a weekend when I'm not at work. Yeah, the, I, I've heard you speak and I've, your book is on my bedside table. I've read it multiple times. <laughs> Let's Talk Culture. Anyone who wants to be in leadership needs to buy it. We'll have it in the show notes. Your bit in the book where you talk about making the unspoken spoken, so bringing it to the yeah. surface because I think with expectations – we just assume, well, if they're messaging me on Saturday, of course they want me to respond because they're doing it. Like they're, and so we make the assumption, but we need to bring that to the surface to understand, well, what is their expectation? Now, let's say, okay, their expectation is, oh, Shell, no, I don't expect you to respond. I'm just getting my work done. No expectations from me. Then the conversation might go another way because it might yeah. then become a conversation about, okay, can I let you know how I feel when I receive those emails on the weekend? understand you've got a you've got a big workload volume of work's really high what that says when you're working to the team is that we're under the pump we all need to be on mm. and so we actually you can actually start talking about the problems with that in a really healthy way and go how can i support you are there things we can do to help reduce the workload so you don't have to be on at all hours yep. or if you feel like you, that's something you'd like to do if that's how you like to work have you heard of this thing called send later? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I know. There's some really basic technological <laughs> solutions to an expectation conversation. Do you know what I mean? So it, it can, yeah. we can, we can, or you actually clarify, no, them, their expectation is that I would respond. And then we have a different conversation again because it's, okay, no worries. My understanding is my weekends are my time. And if you feel like, well, some people are paid to work mm. over their weekend, right? Or, or outside hours. Some people are paid for that, but some people aren't. And so you, we need to bring all this stuff up to the surface and then clarify with your manager, okay, what, what are your genuine expectations of me and the team? Yeah. And this comes back to the, I guess, one of the other, the big ideas that I, I was thinking about with this conversation. We talked about intent um, versus content. We talked about service versus malice. I think one of the other things I, I was thinking about was around the intention, the, the attitude in which we go into these conversations is around curiosity versus assumption. 
And I think when we go into a difficult conversation, we have to go in through the lens of curiosity rather than assumption. And you you said it just before, we assume that because they do this certain behavior, that their expectation is that. And I, I, remember, I don't know if you remember years ago, back in, I think it was 2018, there was this story where a couple of um, African-American gentlemen were at a Starbucks and ended up getting arrested. They were there for a business meeting. They got arrested. Um, there was a huge outcry as a result of it. And and, and as a consequence, the, the CEO at the time shut down 8,000 Starbucks stores around America to do anti-bias training. Um, and for the afternoon, took every single one of their staff members out to put them through that training. And as part of the project initiative, there was a, um, an African-American lady who was leading that project, their COO. And some of the staff members started to make this assumption that the reason that she was in her position and the reason that she was given responsibility over this task was that um, it was just purely a racial pandering to the situation that had happened. And they made all these assumptions about her ability to be able to lead in that position. And it started this kind of social media uproar and people started calling it out and they had to come out and start to demonstrate and show her track record. And she'd been at um, a CEO at um, Sam's in the US, which was like a subsidiary of Walmart, had significant leadership experience and was chosen based on her, the merit and her credibility. But everyone had made this assumption from the outside, looking at the picture that she'd only got that position because it was a, you know, a tokenistic response. And this is the danger that assumption gets us into is that when we make assumptions about why decisions are made or assumptions about a particular aspect of the feedback that we're giving, we don't listen through the lens of curiosity. And when we sometimes, we sometimes get it wrong. <laughs> and a really good example of this is I, I love telling the story about a person who's just joined a team. And I may have shared this story before, but this person has just joined a team. They're going into the room and every time they walk into the room, people stop talking about them. And um, she gets really, you know, when that feeling, when someone's talking about you in the room, you go in, everyone stops and everything goes silent. Anyway, she goes to the manager of the team. She says, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to leave. Uh, I really don't feel like I belong on this team. I don't feel comfortable, like I'm fitting in. And the manager says to her, you know, what's going on? Like, what, what's happening? And she said, well, every time I walk into a room, people stop talking about me. And I know for certain that they're talking about me. And the manager says to her, I'm really, really sorry. We've actually been trying our best to plan a surprise birthday party for you. And there's this kind of moment of discomfort, right? Where the assumption that you'd made based on the evidence that you're gathering was reinforcing a, a wrong assumption. Um, and so the same with giving feedback to a leader, you have to be so careful that you make assumptions based on the information that you have, that you might be missing some pieces that the leader has as well. That is, that's such a good example. I think we de definitely err towards the worst case scenario, yeah. like our bias towards negativity comes out. And so the assumption we make is often the worst case. And, and did you watch Game of Thrones? I didn't know. Oh, I tried. You tried. <laughs> sorry. Okay. I'm sorry, everyone. Any, uh, yeah. Yes. It's worth the apology. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyone who's watched Game of Thrones will know Lord Baelish in the last season does. Oh, spoilers. No, no. Is there spoilers is, in this? No, nah, this okay. isn't the spoiler. But he says. I'm just looking out for your audience. Good. You're really, you're a kind soul. <laughs> so, he says, whenever anything bad happens, I work out what is the worst possible reason they could have for doing this. And then I look at, does that reason make sense based on the behavior? And it goes down this line of really showing you how dangerous assumptions get made. That if we think and we forecast, what is the worst case outcome here? Does that worst case outcome validate the behavior? And we can just, all of a sudden we go down in our mind, this garden path. And at the end of it, we're like, I have to quit. 
everyone hates me. <laughs> I'm the worst person, you know. So when we get into that mode of assumptions, we can make some bad judgment calls. We can make bad decisions. Yeah. But if we take that curiosity lens that you're describing and go, how can I be curious? How can I ask open questions? How can yeah. I bring this to my manager's attention knowing that A, they don't get enough feedback, B, they probably want your feedback and C, they don't know what it's like to be on the other side of them. They, yeah. don't, they don't know. And I've taught heaps, Shane, it's our mutual friend Rowan Dredge has said to me multiple times, what is it like to be on the other side of you? Like as a leader, we need to know what is it like to be on the other side of me? Like where are my blind spots? And you, when you lead up, you can be that person helping with a mirror, showing your boss, this is what it's like to be on the other side of you. And if you do it in kindness, if you do it in a prepared and planned way, you can help them grow. And as a result, your team will grow, your culture will get better. Like there's huge Mm. upsides. Huge upsides. And I think when it comes to this, I guess, area of assumption, the last example I I can give is I was at a a program a few months ago and we were talking about expectations around online meetings. And one manager got up and said, we were asking the question, what does respect look like? And they said, well, for me, it means turning your camera on during Teams meetings and Zoom meetings. And I said, so what does that, what does that mean for you? And he just said, look, for me, it's just really disrespectful when a person comes into a Teams meeting and just leaves their camera off the entire time. And I went, okay, what does everyone else think about that? And we sat with the conversation. Most people were like, yeah, 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 very disrespectful, very disrespectful. And we were like, okay, so should we make it an expectation that we have? That's a very explicit expectation to keep your camera on. And one lady put her hand up and she said, um, I'm not sure I entirely agree with this. And we went, okay, tell me a bit more about that. And she said, well, I often have my camera off during my Teams meetings. And um, she said, it's because um, I'm, you know, uh, I'm a mum and I've, I've been breastfeeding and I, I don't really want to have my camera on during that moment. And it was this really great moment where all of a sudden everyone went, wow, oh my gosh. I had made an assumption about somebody based on their camera that if I just asked a couple of questions with the lens of curiosity might have gone, okay, well, maybe it wasn't disrespectful. Maybe it was about their contribution to the meeting rather than their camera. And so it allowed us to have a more honest and um, intentional conversation about what respect really means to us. And so again, it comes back to the alignment of expectations. If we go into a difficult conversation, especially when we're leading up, making assumptions. And Shell, I would love to know your perspective on this. One of the things that I found as I was when I was leading in a job is that the more senior you become in your position of leadership, it's almost like, and I, I can't describe it any other way than it's almost like this these kind of blinders get taken off your eyes and you see things that you never saw before based on your level of leadership, you you start to go, oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. I didn't see that. Like, what was this person doing? But when you're on a team member and you look at lead, you're like, what exactly do they do with their time? Like, what exactly do they do over here? And then you get into the role and you're like, oh my gosh, they were doing so much that I didn't even realize. Have you, have you found that? Have you experienced that yourself? Uh, yeah, totally. And often I think... <laughs> I think being in HR too is like amplified this because often you don't know how many difficult things your leader is dealing with because a lot of it tends to be confidential. So let's say you're on a team of 10 people, you've got one leader and you might be thinking, gee, my leader, they're not very present at the moment. I feel like they're a bit absent or a bit distracted, but actually on that team, you don't know, but they've got one person who's going through some major mental health stuff. They're doing a whole stack of work to help support them. 
it's very difficult for both the employee on your team who's going through that really difficult situation and difficult for your manager to know how to deal with it. All the while, you're like, oh, gee, they feel really absent. And yeah. it's, it's not that they're necessarily absent, it's that their attention is focused on this really high stakes, heavy thing. And that maybe makes you feel like they're not giving you the same level of attention. And so all that stuff, that stuff's happening all the time, like every day. And I feel like the leaders that I work with and be the same for you, that you're in often in fight, like firefighting mode where you're just, there's really complex problems and you're learning on the job how to resolve them. Like, cause you've never had that. You've never had to encounter that before. So it's a really complex role. I think we need to have grace for our leaders. We also need to have boldness to be honest with them. And I think a lot of people that I see maybe lean towards, they've got a lot of grace, but maybe they lack a little bit of the boldness to go, okay, how do I have that conversation that I need to have? How do I help influence the culture? How do I address that issue that I'm seeing uh, that's leaving this mess over here? on our team. I want to talk to you because we, you messaged me yesterday about this article that you saw in HBR, which really speaks to this boldness idea. Yeah. Can you, (laughs) I'd love your opinion because I think like, I I just love to know what you think about this. Can you read it? Do you have that? Yeah, I'll I'll read it to you. I do. I've got it in front of me because I thought it was hilarious. And can I add to what you just said there? Um, We talked about, you know, curiosity over assumption. And the next one that I would add to what you just touched on was um, empathy over judgment. Uh, which is this idea of like, sometimes there is elements of the leadership role that you don't see. And I want to put a bit of a caveat to this is sometimes there are really um, counterproductive and damaging behaviors. And it's not, we're not dismissing that. We're not saying don't give the person hard feedback because, you know, they're probably dealing with things that you know nothing about. Um, What we're saying is rather than defaulting to judgment for, hey, they don't spend enough time with me. They haven't given me, they've pushed my one-on-one this week. Rather than defaulting to they're a bad leader, default to, okay, is there potentially something that I'm not seeing here right now that if I judge, if I rush straight to judgment, I might miss by being able to just connect with a little bit of empathy and understanding for their role first and foremost. Let, let me read this statement. This this was from 2010 in the Harvard Business, Business Review. And it said this, this is the paragraph that I texted to you. It says, when in doubt, hold your tongue. If you're not sure if your boss wants to hear feedback or if the subject of the feedback is a sensitive one, it's almost always better not to speak up. There is no reason to risk your working relationship or your job unless you feel your boss's behavior is putting the company or your unit in jeopardy. Instead, look for opportunities to give anonymous feedback, such as 360 degree feedback process. <laughs> Shane, tell uh, me your thoughts. What What is your initial thought as you, re- as you read that? Look, I, I have a bad habit of trying to see both sides to things. And my initial response to that is like, I can understand what they mean. I can understand the context in which they're coming from. They're saying, you know what, if it's, if it's really tough feedback, that's not destructive feedback and you don't have the safety to be able to have that conversation because you know, the feedback's not going to be well received, then maybe it's better to hold your tongue and find another avenue to be able to give that feedback. But the idea that a person sits with that, if I have hard feedback that the manager doesn't want to hear, then I should just wait for the time to be able to share it anonymously is so damaging because I think you rob that leader of the opportunity to grow. Oh, and more than that, I'm like, what if I think about all the kinds of damaging behaviors that that leader could be demonstrating. And we just think we sit in silence. I think that's so destructive and toxic. Like I, I, 
as soon as you said that to me, my thing was like capital letters, <laughs> yuck, 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 yeah, yuck, yuck. That's like, exactly what you wrote is yuck <laughs> in capital letters. <laughs> I, I just think no one, uh, and I know psychological safety is really important. So, I mean, I, I remember listening to On Dare to Lead, Brene talk about how they were saying instead of recommending people create safe spaces, now what they're saying is, you need, to, you need to have a brave space, a space where you can be brave because not mm. all environments will be safe. So not all environments we're going to work in will have psychological safety. But yeah. I feel like if you see something in your team that's toxic, that's damaging, that's behaviour that is unhealthy, unhelpful, I would encourage any employee to speak up yeah. because I think we need to be brave. I think we need to be brave. And if the organisation doesn't want to hear it or are unwilling to listen, well, that gives us data to then go and work out, well, do we want to stay in an environment like that where my voice cannot be heard? Because yeah. I think that's a scary, like organisations that aren't willing to hear from their employees and hear concerns genuinely and listen, that's that's a red flag for me. Yeah, it is. And I don't think anyone who's listening should ever feel like that if the feedback to deliver runs the risk of a threat to your reputation or career progression, then you should just have to hold your tongue. I don't think anyone should ever have to feel that the threat to progression is um, the thing that should get in the way of delivering hard feedback or leading up to a leader. And so let's make that really, really clear because I don't want any any of what I'm about to say to feel like, well, you should hold your tongue. What I, what I would suggest, and this is a really good piece of advice that my wife actually gave me and one of the things that she will do quite regularly in feedback is that if you know the feedback is not going to be well received by a leader, and this is a chance for you to lead up, if you know that it's not going to, based on previous experiences and giving feedback and the psychological safety maybe isn't quite there, one of the things she does, which I think is a really profound way of, of giving feedback, is to say, hey, I have to give you some hard feedback, but I don't want you to respond now. Um, I want to give you the feedback and I want you to sit with it. And I'd love to organize a time in a couple of days for us to sit down and have a conversation about it. Um, and I think that is a really powerful way to, to lead up and allow the person to sit with it rather than immediately rushing to defense. And so what you do in doing that is you, you reduce the temperature of the conversation by making it uh, not as hot and you give people space to be out for it to cool down. And sometimes you allow the person to sit with that feedback and go, oh, okay, yes. Um, so that's a really good piece of advice. A really good piece of advice. I'm definitely going to take that on. That is so good to just give space between mm. when you deliver it and when they respond. It gives them freedom and it also gives the listener or the receiver of feedback control. It gives them an element of, yeah, you're absolutely right, reduces the temperature. The other thing I've been doing and, and encourage leaders that I work with to do is to say to their boss, let's say they have to give feedback and, the, and similar context, they know that the person's probably going to not take it that well. Mm. is to also acknowledge how they feel. Yeah. And I know you and I have talked like offline about what is the emotion? How do you describe the emotion to someone? Because often that can help communicate or express your concern or how you're feeling. So well, one of the things I've done in hard feedback conversations is say to the leader, let's say you're my boss, Shane, I, and I've got to deliver a piece of feedback and I think you're going to get a bit defensive and I feel... Shelley, it's a privilege to work with you. You're <laughs> such an incredible team member. Um, thank you so much for your contribution to the team. Um, I heard you had some hard feedback to give me. <laughs> I do. And there we go. And then that, like, the feedback will be easy because you're open to it. <laughs> so what I would say 
is acknowledge how I feel in the lead up. And I'm not saying I'm you do this in a genuine way. Don't do this in a way to get to an outcome. But often if you're feeling anxious, I would just acknowledge it and go, hey, Shane, I'd love to talk to you about this thing that happened in the meeting the other day and give you a little bit of feedback. I feel a bit nervous about having this conversation. Yeah. I feel a bit anxious because I want to deliver this well and I know it's important to you around how our team dynamics going. And then I would go in and just acknowledging how I feel, there's a vulnerability in that because yeah. I'm, I, I'm calling attention to the truth, which is I feel nervous. Most of us feel nervous or anxious to give tough feedback. Yeah. And I think when you, you acknowledge and call attention to the emotion or the feeling, what we do is we actually remove some of its power and that person realises you've had to take a risk and they appreciate, I think they appreciate that. How do you feel though, as you're hearing yeah, me say huge. that? No, I think that's, I think that's like the way that you framed that in terms of your tone and the empathy and the, um, yeah, just the tone in which you delivered that, I think is exactly how I would want to hear feedback given to me if a person doesn't want to give it and they feel nervous about it and they acknowledge that. Um, the other thing that I often really encourage people that I work with when they have to give some hard feedback to a leader is I'll, I'll say to them like, Give yourself permission to say it the first time in a clumsy way and then ask permission to say it in a clumsy way. Because sometimes we assume we have to deliver the feedback in a way that's really articulate and really clear and sometimes is not too harsh but just right. And I, I will often, when I'm giving feedback to someone, to say, hey, I have to give you some feedback and I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that when I say it the first time it's going to sound really clumsy or a bit abrupt or a bit harsh. Um, can I have your permission to say it the way that I'm thinking about it and then maybe just reword it as we go just to kind of make it a little less how I see it, see it. And sometimes they're like, okay, yeah, gosh. And you say in that meeting, you're, you're a little bit of a jerk. And that's, that's what I've been thinking. And I know that sounds really harsh, but I, I want to be able to articulate why I felt like that. That was what was going through my head. But I think the reason why it felt like that is because I was sharing an idea and you'd shut down my idea and there was this happened and that happened. And I just don't know how to articulate it any other way right now. Now, I, I probably wouldn't say you were a jerk, but sometimes you, when you say something out loud with, that you've been thinking about in your head for a long time, it never comes out the way you really want it to. And so sometimes by saying, hey, can we give each other the permission to be clumsy in this conversation and say it without what comes out of our mouth having weight attached to it that we can't go back and change what we meant? And I find that really helpful. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like, yes. I just think the authenticity, the vulnerability, the realness, like we don't have your feedback conversations, if they're polished or formulaic, feel disingenuous. But if your feedback yeah. conversations are raw and they're open and there's permission to, you know, stuff it up a bit, I reckon people yeah. are much more open to hearing that. Yeah. And as a, as a person, as a team member delivering feedback to the leader, you have that same, um, I guess, compassion and empathy towards them to get it wrong too. So sometimes like if I'm receiving feedback, if I'm the leader receiving feedback, I go, you know what, right now I feel really frustrated by that feedback. And it's, and I, I'm really I really value the feedback, but I just want to be really honest. I hate hearing that. And it's not because I'm, I'm not glad that you gave it to me, but right now I am immediately feeling defensive. And so I'm trying my best to work through my mind how to receive this feedback when it, I, I need to be able to, I'm, I'm straight away jumping to defensiveness. And so it might be, Hey, can, can you just allow me to sit with this for 24 hours to just process it? And then we can have a conversation about it or might go, Hey, can I, can I give you some perspective? Would it be okay if I give you some perspective without it feeling defensive that might answer some of the challenges or the feedback that you've given? 
So again, like as a team member, allowing your leader to be clumsy or allowing your leader to say things the first time and not get it right or to to be defensive or some of those first primary responses that we have to feedback, I think it's compassion and empathy both ways. Oh, I love it. I love that as well, the acknowledging defensiveness. I think we can all take that on in any any scenario. Let's say if our boss comes and gives us feedback, being able to say, oh, I really am glad you're sharing sharing this with me. I feel a bit defensive right now, but I know that I'm going to process this. Yeah. Like just, it's just, that's life. Like It allows a person going to, to see what's going through your head, right? Because if you think about it, if you're like most people, you've thought through the conversation and how it would go 100 to 150 times before you have the conversation. And it rarely comes out in verbal language the same way you articulate it in your head. And it always comes through like in your head, you're the most articulate, you're the most confident. And then you say it out loud and you fumble your words or you shake or you shudder around words and you say things you're like, oh no, gosh, that's not what I meant. And the permission to not get it right on both sides of the party is, is a really important one. I love this conversation so much. And this is just, it's stuff that happens in every workplace. And that's the other thing. I think if you're listening and you think, oh, I have to have this difficult conversation with my leader or I need to kind of have a difficult feedback conversation. Sometimes you can feel like I'm the only person that's having to do this, but this is just normal across every business. This stuff is happening all the time. So I want to encourage you. It's a normal thing. So if you can build the muscle early, do what Shane said, be okay to be clumsy, be clumsy with the feedback, but call it out and call that attention to that and find that balance between grace and being bold. I want to encourage you this week, take action, take action on what you've heard, have the conversation and let us know. So message us on LinkedIn, message Shane Hatton, find him on LinkedIn, follow him and let us know how you go because gosh, I love getting feedback about how people have used the, what they've learned from the podcast. Shane, if there's one final thing that people can do to build a healthy relationship and lead up, what would it be? I think in a really practical level, if I could leave people with something, I think these conversations revolve around two key qualities. And I think the two key qualities are one, the psychological safety and the depth of the relationship you feel with the manager. And the second is around the clarity that you have over their intention of the behavior. And so if you think about it as like almost like a thermometer going up, what you're looking for is to find ways to increase the relationship and the safety that you feel with a person and to also um, find ways to make the intention more visible. So when they acted a particular way, was it malicious? Was it careless? Or was it something that you're not seeing because you're making some assumptions? And based on the safety that you feel and the clarity that you have of the intention, I think you can work your way through giving feedback in different ways. I think at a base level, if there's no safety there and you're not really clear on what their intention was behind the behavior, the best thing that you can do to give feedback to a leader is to ask them questions rather than go give them feedback just to go, hey, I noticed in that last meeting, you might have noticed that they were just being a real jerk in the meeting. Rather than saying, hey, you were being a jerk in that meeting, you could go to the leader and say, hey, I'd love to understand Um, I mean, what your expectations are around how our meeting should run. Just ask questions. So maybe you didn't get the chance to share in the meeting. It felt like they were dominating the conversation. You go, hey, what does a good meeting look like for you? Ask the question. And in doing so, you highlight the gap between the current 
meetings and the the way that meetings uh, they aspire to be. So you ask questions. The second would be to, if you've got a little bit more, um, I guess, clarity of their intention, but you still don't necessarily feel super safe, um, make observations. Go, hey, I noticed in that last meeting, this, this, and this. Did you, did you notice that? Were you aware of that? So make observations. As your safety and trust and visibility of their intention becomes more clear, then you can start making statements and then you can start challenging directly. So think about it as going up from this progression from challenges to observations, to statements, to challenges. And I think if you can work your way up in, in safety, in psychological safety and relationship, and also clarity of their intention and their behavior, then you can get to that place where you say to a manager, hey, mate, you were being a jerk in that meeting and you need to change your behavior. And it can come across because there's high safety and high visibility of intentions. Um, but if you're not there yet, just start with questions and observations. That's probably a really safe place to start. Uh, can I just repeat that ladder, the visual? Yes. So we've got questions, observations, statements and challenges. Yeah. And the more safe we are, the more we're able to challenge. But if there's low yeah. safety and low clarity of the intent, start with questions and observations. Yeah. And what I will say on those questions and observations is when you come to a leader to give this feedback, come with problems, not complaints. And the dis I'll tell you the distinction between those two. Problems have an outcome and a solution. Complaints don't. If you go to your leader with a feedback and you say, hey, I didn't like the way that you ran that meeting, it's a complaint. But if you come to the leader and say, hey, in that meeting, I observed that you dominated the conversation quite a lot and didn't give other people a chance to contribute. And as a result of that, it wasn't a very collaborative meeting. And I would love to know how we could build more collaborative meetings. That's a problem to solve. And you can work together on doing that. So just be really clear, come with a, a problem, not just a complaint. Oh, I love it. I love it. This has been such a good conversation and I know people are going to take this away and have some really healthy, great conversations and start to lead up in a, in a new way. So thank you so much, Shane. Hey, people are going to want to find out how they work with you and you are one of my all-time favourite people to talk to about leadership, to talk to about culture. How do our listeners find out more about you? Oh, let's just hang out anywhere that I hang out online. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, um, uh, on my website at shanemhatton.com. Um, but yeah, I love working one-on-one -on -one with people as a coach. Um, I'm your little kind of pocket coach. You take with me, I take me with you everywhere into your organization. And at the same time, we can also work in groups with other people and connect you to some other great leaders too. And Shane's coaching program is something that I think everyone should have a look into. We'll have your website and LinkedIn in the show notes. Find out more. And let us know how you get on with this stuff because I love, seriously, I'm obsessed with hearing how people go when they put this stuff into action. Hey, well, thank you, sir, for hanging out. Always a pleasure. Michelle, thank you for having me back on for the third time. And <laughs> hopefully I didn't ruin this, but hopefully I'll be back. Now, you, we will get many requests for you to come back. So you <laughs> bet you will be back on. All right. And as always, if you like the show, give us a five-star rating or review if you listen on Apple. Thanks heaps. See you soon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.